Only the most curious and persistent people thrive in offensive security. How do I become a better hacker? How can I build and maintain my advantage over adversaries? And what's limiting my ability to think creatively? This podcast is for you if you're the kind who's always digging deeper for answers. Join me as I talk to some of the world's best offensive security pros about their work ethic, thinking, and real-world experiences. This is We Think We Know, a podcast from Pentestools.com. There is no end goal in this industry. You're always going to keep moving forward. This quote from our guest does a great job at capturing the spirit of this podcast, the love for the process, the hunger for knowledge and improvement, the evolution of our understanding of technology, humans, and how they interact in surprising ways. Tim Connell is exactly the kind of person who blends all of these in his life and work. He's building an active community around his curiosity and passionate motivation. The same ingredients led him to leap across growth stages as a penetration tester. From leveraging a robust network to turn in setbacks into progress, Tim shares practical tips and examples that spotlight his own commitment to continuous learning and community engagement. Learn how to mold specific use cases even when you can't find the answer on Stack Overflow. Find out why being resourceful can propel your pen testing career to incredible growth and why it's also the key to remarkable results in your engagement. We think we know how to develop a pen testing career, but be honest, there's still a lot to explore. Okay, so what's your first reaction when someone says, ah, it's just a pen test? That's, yeah, that's a good question. Um, Fan test means something different depending on who you're talking to. Um, you know, an organization, a small organization might use pen test as a buzzword to describe cybersecurity in general, where they might not even be at a point where it makes sense to do anything hands-on keys and they're at the assessment level, whether it's risk, threat, or, or vulnerability assessment, put some of those security controls in place. Um, but what I talk to customers and you know, people in the industry, the first thing I like to understand is what does it mean to you? So, you know, it could mean, um, you know, a traditional just vulnerability assessment. Like I said, it could be a risk assessment or another level of the, the compliance side, or it could also be hands-on keys where it's, I, we've done everything that we need to do and we really want to dig in to the areas of our network that we're really afraid of losing data or if a breach comes in, which will impact our business operations. So to really understand security as it pertains to risk, which is really what we what we do. You know, our goal is to identify risk and help companies remediate risk for a fraction of the cost that it would cost if they got ransomware or if their business was shut down for, for weeks on end because they couldn't get access to their data. So in surprise, well, maybe not surprise somebody, but a lot of times we're talking to customers, they're not ready for end test. You know, I just had a conversation with a customer last week and it was, you know, I want a pen test on the internal environment, the external environment, um, you know, a handful of web applications that we build. And it's the first thing that comes to mind is do you have 200 grand, right? Because that, I mean, a, 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 a actual pen test would cost that much money because it would take you a long time to get to all of that uh, infrastructure. So, you know, well, behold, they weren't ready for that. They, you know, sticker shock, they kind of, their mouths dropped a little bit. 
And uh, you know, we took a took a step back and said, "All right, well, maybe it makes sense to do a vulnerability assessment first. Just look at the areas of your infrastructure you care about, and from there, based on what's vulnerable, what returns vulnerable, we can go deeper there, and we can do it based off of the areas that show the most vulnerabilities, as well as the infrastructure that you're most afraid of being breached, and we can go and target that. So." You know, you take a two hundred thousand dollar price point down to you know uh, a couple grand of a vulnerability assessment with a ten grand of a pen test, and now we're starting to talk about real numbers and a real engagement that really is beneficial to the customer, right? Because that's the end goal. When you talk to a customer, the goal is to make sure that they are more secure when the project is done than they were before that first conversation you had with you. So you know, if you're not doing that, then you're not doing your customer any services. And also. The thing that I really appreciate is that you have this very, very constructive attitude about all of the elements, because it can be disheartening to hear that undertone of, ah, it's just a pen test, to, to hear that dismissiveness in someone else's voice, to, you know, be faced with having to justify and explain yourself. But that's part of the job, isn't it? That's part of the work. I mean, helping clarify those elements and helping clarify the distinction between a vulnerability assessment and a pen test that is part of the work. It's not something that, like an extra effort, which I feel like sometimes people see as being detached from the actual work, which is the parts that they enjoy more than, uh, you know, talking to people and building business cases and things like that. Yep. But this is where your background shines because you come from a background of sales. And I'm really like curious to, 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 to see and to understand what elements from your background and from your experience have helped you get, you know, to this level where in just a few years, you not only managed to acquire a lot of knowledge, but a lot of practical experience, um, you know, grow a company and also become one of the most active members in the offensive security community. So um, walk us through this process a little bit through that transformative journey that you've had. Yeah, yeah, and I, that, I I love that question. A lot of people would probably shy away from the background of sales because it's a dark word. No one likes salespeople, but you know it, it very much was a positive in where I am today because it allowed me to understand the business. Right? You know, when you're in sales, you're selling a product or a service, but your goal is to do something that the business needs that is going to either positively impact the business operations, the the, the team's ability to do work to save the company money. So there's all these different consulting elements to it that have really helped expand my ability to, to bring value to our customers. Um, when I was in sales, of course, we all have numbers, right? That's, you know, that's a lot of times I was, yeah, I had a number and I was working for a small company that had a venture capital board that funded us. And if I didn't hit my number, you know, there was always, you know, questions about what's going on. And, you know, I came to realize that the customers that, I had the most success with, you know, it wasn't about the number. They don't care about the number. They care about your ability to, to bring value to what they're trying to do. So, you know, if you take a step back and you think about it from a, you know, three-dimensional, not just looking at a transaction here from sales perspective, you know, you're really a partner to these companies. And when I'm talking to a customer, and some people would say otherwise, but I believe a pen tester is part consultant. Um, you have to be able to consult the company. You have to understand what they're trying to do. You have to understand what they do as a business. Um, you have to understand how they make money. 
Um, you have to understand the people you're talking to, what their roles and responsibilities are. You know, you're talking to, let's say, an engineer versus a director. You know, an engineer is responsible for making sure boots on the ground, things are running and they're, are working right. The director is responsible for making sure that that's happening and reporting that back to the business in a way that turns to dollars and cents and justifies the work that they're doing to get more more support in the things that they're trying to do. So, you know, when it comes to doing pen testing, and this is why, in my opinion, it's not a commodity either, because you have to not only understand what's vulnerable, you have to be able to speak to it in a way that the business can understand. And going back to that engineer director reference, an engineer is going to look at that in a way that's technical, where a director might look at it in a way that's business operation, right? They're looking at it more from a a CIS control standpoint where engineer is looking for how do I fix, you know, this code vulnerability that allows somebody to get access to our database. So it's it's understanding all those components. And when you're in sales, you really have to be almost an extra project manager because a lot of times the customer doesn't know what they need. So if you can understand what they're trying to do, you can lead them in a way that is beneficial to them as a consultant and get them to ultimately get them where they want to be. Even if they can't articulate what that is, you have the experience to be able to show them and to back it up with your with your, your password and your output that will make them more secure when the project is done. That's a super helpful process. And the, the clarity with which you described it, I think is so helpful simply because the sales process itself has a lot of maturity. I mean, sales has been around probably since humans have been around yep, forever. <laughs> so it has all of these elements into it that are actually rooted in an understanding of human nature and how these relationship dynamics work and how things work when we have to get people to work together and we have to get to people to, to do something. And that's where that's that's why there's so much value there that we can carry into offensive security and figure out you know what these people need because the conversation nowadays is often like increasingly often about how do we get people to understand the value that penetration testing brings how do we get people to see the value that a penetration tester creates through his unique skills, unique knowledge, unique experience, and especially through his curiosity and all of the work that, that's, that's in the background that fuels their, like every tactic, every step, every search, and, and so on and so forth. And, and that's why I particularly wanted to talk to you about why penetration testing is a craft and not a commodity, because not only do you understand these things, but you talk about them so often, especially on LinkedIn, which is where we discovered you. Um, you talk about this and you start conversations with people that go like really deep. How have you seen people react to the type of nuggets that you pose to the types of observations that you share? Um, what have you seen like really, you know, kind of coagulate around what kind of, of topics get people to to come together in a way that, you know, makes them feel strongly about like, yeah, this needs to change because it's do, like hurting our work and hurting mm -hmm. our potential to grow. Yeah. I, when I try to put information out there in the world, I try to think about it in a way where how can somebody who doesn't have any experience, how can they relate to 
because I believe that when you're starting to learn something new, you're always going to try to relate that back to something you understand, which will make it easier for you to learn the new topic. So I try to be as real with it and talk more at a practical level about the things that I'm writing about and that I'm trying to put out there. And I think that that is what is going to, is what gets me the most interaction. Because if you go really deep on a topic, it's nobody understands what you're talking about. Why would it, you're not going to even know how to interact with that. So if you stay high level and you, you, you focus on topics that people are trying to understand, it helps them understand what they might need to either focus on more or what questions they should be asking, or just give them some different ways to think about the work that they do. And I've, I've had people with 10 years experience. I've had people who, you know, have no experience come and ask some of the same questions. And, you know, again, going back to that same mindset, you know, someone with 10 years experience, you're going to get a lot more technical with than somebody with no years experience, because you also don't want to discourage people. Um, and I think that that's another major issue we have in the industry. Uh, I hear a lot of people talk about, we found all these vulnerabilities, no restriction. And it's because you're not doing a good enough job translating what you're doing in a way that shows risk. Um, you know, going back to the uh, commodity um, scenario, it's, you know, you could find going, you know, web applications, you can go and find a, a cross a scripting vulnerability that pops up a one on your stream. That doesn't show risk, right? That shows a vulnerability, but that doesn't equate to somebody who's going to sign off on an, on a, on a, an engagement or right. a, a amount of effort and time that would take to fix that because it doesn't actually equate to anything that they can relate to. So if you take that, you know, process scripting and you turn it into Hey, I can take over your account. I can hack into your database. I can steal all of your customer uh, proprietary information. You start making it more real. So it's it's really it's it's important that when you do have these discussions and you talk to people, regardless of where they are in their in their learning uh, on the spectrum, that you're trying to make it as practical and as relevant as possible. And you do that really, really well. And this is um, one of the things that actually contributes to to growing the community in general and just like mentoring people through conversations because having that space where someone with decades of experience comes together um, in a conversation with someone who's just starting their journey or perhaps they're trying to level up that I feel is such a precious thing. And this is why I, I used to love the cybersecurity community on Twitter before everyone moved to a different platform because I've been following like for almost a decade, these conversations that were happening in public and that's how we all learn and that's how we develop our ability to speak about our work as well. Yep. That's, that's not necessarily something that comes easily for um, people in, in this space, particularly not because they don't want to simply because they've spent a lot of time cultivating a different set of skills, uh, yep. which is perfectly natural. It's so hard to, I mean, if you really, I don't even want to go to that, that, that viewpoint of you can be a master at everything. It's just not possible. You just get, there's just too many domains. Things change on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, if you can learn, you know, uh, an inch deep across the whole industry, but you have, you know, a deep skill set on one specific domain, then you're doing really well. 
So, you know, it's really important to be able to, to cultivate relationships and all those areas that you are maybe an inch deep to have resources that might be for, that might be their expertise. And you can lean on them for the things that you need that they might know and vice versa. Because I like I believe if you should never just ask for help. You should take some time and struggle a little bit, but not not beat yourself up. Not do it to a point where you have low, you, you lower your self-esteem and you, you're you're thinking of yourself that you can do it or not because you spent so much time and not really getting anywhere. So you don't have to go now or I'll I'll reach out to my community, the people that I'm really close with, and say, Hey, I actually just said it to our team. Hey, like I, I have this issue, spend some time on it. What do you think? Um, and then you know, I start, you know, we start mind melding. We call it internally, we mind meld. It's like we're, we're, we all have these skill sets, we're melding our minds, we're coming up with different ideas and different viewpoints. And you're taking something that seemed impossible and you're leveraging what you the, the resource you have to get where you want to get to. And then once you understand how to do it, you you know, you either write it down or you you archive it somewhere, and then when it comes up again, you have somewhere to go back to. So it's it's really important that you know you use the community, use your resources and and give yourself some credit because most people they don't even try because this just seems impossible. Yeah. Most people I talk to, you, you, if I tell them I do cybersecurity, they look at me, cross their eyes, and then they're like, uh, they don't even know what to ask. Like, oh, so like you, you steal stuff? I'm like, no, no, that's not what we do. And you know, because they just think about what they hear in the media, right? Exactly. So, so you know, I think I think people gotta give, have to give themselves a break. That's so, so true. And also because we lack benchmarks in this industry, because it's still a young industry, um, it, it's young and it's so nuanced. It's so in the sense that each pen uh, test engagement is so unique. You can hardly compare things. So it's hard for people to figure out if they're doing well enough on their, uh, let's say, career path or in their specific role or in their specific engagement and so on that we just need each other as um, as echoes as you know like a mirror to figure out where we stand like am I doing this right is this working is this is my process good enough is my report good enough um, are my skills good enough like how can you tell is especially since just like you mentioned things evolve every single day so how do you kind of gauge, you know, exactly like how you're doing uh, without getting, without that comparison taking over as a toxic thing that um, starts to chip away at your sense of self-worth? Yeah, I try my best not to compare to other people. I, I, everybody has imposter syndrome in this industry. I think of it from a, a positive where if I didn't have it, that means I'm not trying hard enough. I'm not trying to learn new things. I'm not extending outside of my comfort zone, which I think means that imposter syndrome is a positive, even though a lot of people think of it as a negative. But when I'm working in, you know, especially if I'm billable, my my experience and my value equates directly to the customer experience. So, you know, as long as I'm doing what my customer is expecting or doing better, than what they're expecting. I like to think that, you know, I'm, I'm doing the things that I should be doing and learning the things that I should be learning. Now, every engagement that you're on, you're gonna learn new skills and you're gonna learn new things. And I think that there's value there too. So next time you work with that same customer, there's new things you can try. Um, but, you know, I really 
try to be as humble as possible, understand and accept that I don't know everything and just work and learn as much as I can. And um, when I'm on things like LinkedIn, you know, a lot of people say that they don't connect. They just, you know, people can follow and that's fine. I like connecting with people because everybody I connect to is putting out different things I've ever tried before or seen before. So, you know, I'm always finding new things there too. And I'm, and I'm not, I'm not stubborn enough and I'm not um, arrogant enough not to use other techniques that other people put out there and, you know, and, and give them kudos where it's deserved and where it's helped. So yeah, I just, I, I don't, I don't spend too much time on things that I can't control. <laughs> which is something that we can all that's a good reminder for all of us honestly uh and we need it a lot more often than we realize we do actually right <laughs> right right of you um so when it comes to let's say looking at things from like under under the microscope just a little bit in terms of what this craft aspect of, of penetration testing involves um it's clearly that huge. So we talked about the huge focus on each customer situation and understanding um, the inner dynamics of their business, how everything connects, like what are the, the pieces of the puzzle? Um, what else have you, have you, let's say, what's special or how do you kind of build your work to make some parts of the process repeatable and replicable because you need that because otherwise that would be a lot of time that you spent just doing things over and over again right yep. how much time do you spend on the things that are unique and that are very particular to that engagement in particular mm -hmm. and you know yeah it's a great question it, a lot of it depends on the the scope so let's i'll just use applications because of the easiest ones to just talk through it at, at a high level and, and kind of narrow the scope uh, it depends on the customer. So are they a customer that is a part of a high value industry? Is it government? Um, do they have, do they do transactions on credit cards? Um, you know, all the things that would make them more interesting than somebody who's going to go on Shodan and run some automated script looking for the latest VMware vulnerability on all you know, publicly accessible vSphere environments, right? Um, and from there, it's looking at the different aspects of the application that allow for potential vulnerabilities. So when I see an application, you're always going to look at the login. You're always going to look at the, you know, uh, forgot my password. You're always going to look at the reset my password. You're always going to look at if there's a message board, if there's a chat, if there's an email component to it. You're looking at way at areas where you input something and something happens, whether it reflects back to you or it triggers an API or it triggers a, another function that would make it vulnerable to certain types of attacks. And when, I, when I'm doing the recon, I'm taking mental notes of how all these pieces kind of play together. Um, and I'm taking notes on, you know, the endpoints that, that might be vulnerable based off of some of the the characteristics of the the, or the coding um, etiquette that the the developers have in place, and I'm seeing where I should go deeper. So of course, even things like file uploads and and stuff like that, I'm, I'm focusing there, and then I'm going to start going through each of those components in a much more uh, granular detail. So you know, I'm looking at 
You know, is there insecure direct object reference, right? Is there an ID value there that is is directing to a specific database table row that you can then use in fuzz to find other data? You know, is it if they have a file upload, they might have a whitelist of files on the front end. If I find a cross-site scripting vulnerability, are they enforcing that on the server? Because if they're only enforcing it on the client, I can bypass with cross-site scripting. On the other side, you know, are they, do they only have it on the server and anything that I submit on the front end goes through and I have to see on the server if it uh, actually runs or not to run a remote code execution or a server side request forgery type of vulnerability. So it, it all depends on the scope. It depends on why and how customers, like why customers use the application and what their workflows are. Um, sometimes it also depends on the types of features in that application that are being used more than others to, to really transfer that over to risk. And it also depends on, you know, can anybody off the street exploit this or do you actually need a login mechanism to do it? Um, you know, if, if there's login, do they have MFA set up? Um, you know, if they don't have MFA set up, I'm going to go pull all the credentials in the dark web and I'm going to cred, uh, cred stuff and see if I can credential stuff that. Um, because there's hundreds of millions of credentials out there and every application I found that doesn't have MFA, I can credential stuff that and get access to the application. So, you know, but you need to be able to show the risk by showing I can get into another user's account, right? Just saying, hey, you have, you don't have MFA, that's a vulnerability assessment type of risk. Um, it's, a, it's a CIS controls type of, it's something that NIST says you should add but at that point, it's okay. They, they tell me I should do a lot of things. I should shred all my paper too, right? But I haven't gone to that point yet. But MFA is critical to your business. So, you know, it's, 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 it's methodol, method, there's a methodology, methodology to it, excuse me. Um, but it all depends on the scope and, and the, um, and the targets that we're, we're going after. And a lot of that just comes down to reps. Experience. It's not something you're going to get up on bounties. It's not something you're going to get in a class. Um, you really have to start working with people who are doing it to get some of those stories and some of those um, real life experiences that you just can't get out of effect. Mm, and that connects so well to something a previous guest said. Uh, Alexi, he said that at some point you just start to develop like a sixth sense around, I think. Yeah, I know there's something here because that intuition actually relies on the reps uh, and experience that you just mentioned that just feeds off of every type of experience and doing and searching and forming kind of those mental models around how to approach your targets and, and how to approach a business. And that all becomes kind of codified in a unique approach that you end up having as a penetration tester. And that's why I find it so fascinating that in this space, we have such a diversity of not only people in backgrounds, but also in approaches and in different ways of seeing the world and putting that to work uh, in a way that ultimately is meant to help people in a very palpable, practical way. And, and all of these examples are just so good because, like you said, the media still kind of portrays this 
ethical hacking part as something that's very exotic and obscure and untouchable. And it, I feel that that creates distance for most people. It reinforces that distance, actually, instead of making it like this is an actual career path that you can develop. This is something you can learn. This is something you can do. Um, and, you know, examples like yours of transitioning from a different industry, a different role into penetration testing, I feel like we need so much more of those to show that this is, again, doable and learnable and uh, something that you can develop in time and add your unique flavor and um, just, you know, way to go about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I I did a lot of classes when I first got in the industry. And I think the most I got out of that was understanding what subjects I should spend more time learning because it's what people were talking about. Um, and that's another huge issue. It, there's so much content out there. It's what what should I focus on first? I get asked this all the time. It's like, hey, I'm, should I do cloud? Should I? I'm, and I'm just like, that's not the right. That's not the right question. You know, it's you should first understand what you want to do. There's plenty of there's plenty of work and need out there for every single domain in cybersecurity. So the first thing you should do is focus on what you enjoy doing, and then understanding everything you can about that specific um, subject. Right, and that as you go, as you go, you'll get that you know inch deep everywhere else. But you know you, you can't go and spend you know I'm going to go spend a month on Active Directory. Then I'm going to spend a month on you know Azure. I'm going to go spend a month on AWS, and then I'm going to go spend a month on what that's that's not the way that it works because it's so much deeper. And if you want to be more than just a scanner, right, which your job is going to be replaced if you're out, like if you're just looking for vulnerabilities. I'm sorry. Um, it's like, you have to be able to go as deep as possible. And as customers are, are getting better, you have to be better than them. That is what they're paying you for. You know, it, it, it's not a game. These, these companies, this isn't a CTF. We're not out there to find a, a you know, a root.txt file and, and show that we can get some arbitrary hash that says that we got a new system. You know, it's, they're, they're looking to make their business safer. And the only way that you can do that is if you are adding value on top of their expertise. And that requires you to constantly be working on your craft and enjoy it. You know, because, you know, when I was in sales, I enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy the grind at, at all the time. But after, you know, eight or nine years at eight or nine startups, I just got burnt out. Um, but, you know, with this industry, it's, there's so much to learn. There's so much to be curious about. And there's so much to, it's, there's so much to enjoy that, you know, if you don't have that enjoyment for it, then you probably shouldn't go into pen testing because it's going to be painful. You know, it's going to be painful. And, you know, if, if, if you're the person who's looking for immediate, um, you know, gratification and, and, you know, a pat on the back, you did a great job. It's just not, that's not this industry. So, you know, it's really important that you, you know, you take the time and learn as much as you can and, and keep adding value to your customers because again, that's what they're paying for. And also figure out where and how you get that sense of achievement. Just like you mentioned, knowing that perhaps you're not going to get that level of, of satisfaction and gratitude from customers means looking for that somewhere else. And if you don't have like different, like multiple sources to get that level of satisfaction and that sense of progress, then it, it can be frustrating really quickly, especially because again, we're talking about 
some misconceptions that get carried over from one, let's say, generation to another, or they just get carried over because we still have to do that work of clarifying things of why penetration testing is not a vulnerability assessment, why it's not red teaming. And we just have to, I mean, these are necessary conversations because we haven't reached the level where there's an implied understanding uh, of each of these individual types of offensive security activities. So we just, we're, we're going to have to just keep going and, and keep sounding like a broken record until hopefully the future generation as, of, of ethical hackers come with this kind of built in. They already know how to explain what to do and hopefully customers become more acquainted with, with these concepts as well. Um, yep. And you mentioned something that I feel is, is very important and it's tied to this craft aspect of penetration testing with it, which is automation. How do you feel about vendors and companies and, uh, you know, promises of full automation? All you have to do is click a button and we'll do everything for you. Uh, how does that make you feel, you know, knowing the depth that this type of work implies and the uh, intellectual and emotional labor behind it? As long as it's being explained in a way that it's, it is just a vulnerability assessment, I think it's great. You know, I think... You know, to be able to add as much value as possible in the shortest amount of time is really the most benefit. You know, the customer gets the best bang for their buck. Um, but it's it's the reporting aspect and it's the not explaining the differences where I feel really bad for the customers, to be honest with you. Um, because, you know, it, it's they don't know any better. Well, most of them don't know any better. And then they feel like they're getting taken advantage of. And, you know, a lot of customers come to us not because they haven't done a a penetration test before it's because they felt like their previous vendor didn't do them the right service. So a lot of times, you know, we'll actually ask for the report and I've got reports where it's literally a screenshot of an NNAP scan Ooh. and that's part of the pen test. And I'm like, that's, that's nothing. That's, that's, there's nothing of value there for you. And on top of that, the customers aren't being explained what the report is actually trying to tell them. Um, so we've had a lot of customers too. It's like, Hey, I got a Florida page report. They dropped it on our desk and we never heard from them again. It's like, just feel bad, you know? And, and I don't like the, the businesses that do that, but I also feel bad for them because eventually they're going to be found out and they're not going to be in business anymore. You know? And it's like, you think you, you think you're, they might actually think that they're doing the right thing because there's so much of a misunderstanding as to what this industry is all about. They might really believe that they're doing penetration tests and it's, it's just, it's not that simple. And, you know, we do pen tests. It's, you know, we give you the vulner, a lot of times now, actually, we're giving you the full attack chain. So there might be four vulnerabilities in one finding with the output being the, the, the end result of stealing an account or getting access to the server. And we're breaking it down with proof of concepts We're breaking it down with actual output of code, take this code. We'll put it into a file and run it and you'll see that this thing is real. So, you know, we're trying to give them as much data as possible to realize that, you know, they, their money was well spent and if they need help, we can help them fix it. They should, they should think of it more again, as a partnership and not a contract. You know, this is a, this is a partnership. Um, this is cybersecurity is a journey. It's not a task. Like you're never going to be at the end and it's going to take you a lot of, of a lot of work to get it right. And, you know, to think that a single pen test or a single vulnerability assessment is going to just, you know, check the box and we're done. 
It's just not that simple. Um, so, you know, being able to, to provide that data to a customer and, and actually explain how to fix it, I think it's when those things aren't there again, I feel really bad for the customer. And it hurts everyone. It hurts it everyone. Does. It hurts the customer. It hurts the industry. That's why penetration testing still has a bad rep um, in certain aspects. It's still kind of this, uh, it, still, it, it still doesn't get the respect that it deserves. Uh, and the just just making sure that, you know, people understand what it's about. So it's still kind of a very fuzzy, uh, undefined discipline for the people who it helps the most, which are the business owners, because that's yep. who we're trying to help. And those are the people who decide that they can, you know, allocate budgets for this. And those are the people who, at the end of the day, care about protecting their businesses. But we need to to help them doing it in a way that's meaningful and truly helpful and not just, again, not, not just something that helps them be compliant and, you know, stay in business because they're... Um, they're just in line with all the legal requirements. There's. I, it's so funny you say that. I was actually at a conference this week, and it was around, really around uh, risk. Like that was the, if you want to say the one word that described the whole conference was around risk. Most people there ask questions around cyber insurance, right? Because it's, we don't know. So we need to make sure we have insurance. So when we get hit, we can stay in business. And the the overall perspective that I got out of it is that we're still too reactive. We're too reactive to risk and we have to do a better job at getting out in front of it and putting in the right controls. Because even if, you, even if you get breached, because you're never going to be able to get everything, if you have the right controls in place to isolate the damage, you're going to be taking what might take months to fix couple hours, maybe a day yep. and, you, and you have backups, you're up and running again. So, you know, it's like, it's like you are, you know, a business in a place that's has a high possibility of an earthquake, right? You're going to have a disaster recovery someplace else in a different geographical region. So if something happens where you are, you can still operate as a business. So you have the controls in place to when that happens, you have the ability to stay online. And we as an industry need to do the same thing on in the virtual world, right? Like um, I think about it all the time. Okay, this single compromise is huge. So we need to start implementing more zero trust on email, right? Making it so if someone gets in your email, the number of ways that attacker can pivot is only isolated to that email. And then it's around how you are cutting email and are you sending passwords in email? So you're starting to really... Uh, fence in that threat or I guess that risk and make it so that threat can expand and launch ransomware in your business. You know, so and, so that's the mindset we need to have. We need to be more proactive. And a lot of that comes down to our ability as 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 a as a you know industry, the pet testing office of security industry to portray that information so the customer can understand. And all of the attack chains, all of the proof, every time a business owner walks away with a clear understanding of what they paid for, that's a huge win for everyone because that business owner will be more inclined to invest in this, will understand what the value is. And they feel like 
every type of element, every type of experience that we're able to give people who are outside the industry, the people who we serve at the end of the day, all of those experiences kind of snowball into a bigger mindset change, into a, a, just a bigger inclination to just have these topics in their universe somewhere, gravitating around them rather than instantly rejecting them and instantly saying like, ah, this is not for me. I don't really care about this. I have more pressing issues. Um, and yeah, just being able to talk about this and make these conversations public for people to use and to see and to see if they're getting their money's worth. Again, that's something that's that's very generous of you to do uh, both in this conversation and, and generally uh, in the community. What's something Absolutely. that um, what's something that you're really passionate about these days? What's something that you're really like digging deeper into and, and feeding that curiosity that's so typical of the ethical hacking mindset? There's a cup so again, I spent a lot of my time doing web apps. So there's a lot of vulnerabilities out there that people don't think are a big deal and they are. So I like to really focus on how to make them as impactful as possible. For example, um, you know, I, I had a, a, so click jacking, right? UI redress attacks. It's the ability to basically have a fake page, fake form over a, a real form that is invisible. So when a user inputs their email and, and password, that will then get set to an external database somewhere that could then be used for credential harvesting. So I actually spent some time building something that was actually was actually usable, and you know, putting that in my reports because almost every customer is vulnerable to that. The biggest organizations in the world are vulnerable to it, not just on like a browser, or, excuse me, a brochure type of page in the browser, but like a login page, a forgot password page, you know, pages where people are going to to, to actually give information that could be used to get access to their account. So you know, building stuff like that that is is kind of dispelling the belief that it's not that big of a deal. Um, you know, cross-site scripting is another one. A lot of people say, okay, I can, again, I can put a one in the browser, no big deal. Okay, cool. What are you going to do with that? Reflected cross-site scripting. Okay, what? Someone actually has to click on a link. So, so what? Like they don't want, no big deal. But if you take that and you can actually use it, weaponize it the way you don't need anybody to click on anything. But by you triggering it, you're actually pulling data that it's hidden or stolen through the the DOM, the you know the document object model, the back in JavaScript page. You know it, it's allowing you to take over AJAX requests so it go into the back end. Like that is showing impact. It's showing meaning. And you know by finding ways to make those more malicious and increase the risk, you're finding a lot of vulnerabilities that people don't take seriously. And by doing that, you're helping them understand that they need to fix these things. It's not, not a big deal. So those are the ones that I'm really, I'm really enjoying right now. Uh, I'm starting to get more into the server side stuff. So let's do process scripting to get access to local files or to get access to, you know, server side request forgery or local file inclusions. You know, can I use this to basically do an eye door across the whole, you know, website and literally pull on the front end the full database. Um, so you're starting to look at things that are a lot more complicated, a lot more complex. Uh, because I also believe a lot of people are doing that in, in these engagements, especially not in ones that are three to five days long. Mm -hmm. 
And that's basically, I mean, do you feel like this is kind of reflects the reality of penetration testing, which is like 1% really exotic vulnerabilities that are very, again, like very interesting from a technical perspective? And is it 99% vulnerabilities that have been around for over a decade, first of all? Second of all, that seem, just like you mentioned, unimportant, but they actually make up the bulk of things. Do you feel like that's an accurate reflection of what you find in the, you know, in the day-to-day work that you do? Yeah, a lot of it comes back to just your ability to be creative. You know, you got to be creative when you find something and think, okay, what would somebody do here? What what type of vulnerability would this potentially trigger? This information I found, what is it used for? And starting to actually go deeper in understanding and putting that attack chain together um, by finding all of these what might be low or even informational vulnerabilities and you stack them together and you get something that might be higher critical, right? Um, and that is what the best are doing. Like if you're a target, if someone say, hey, you're a company that is high value, I'm just going to go focus on you for a year. That's the things that they're doing because they don't want to be found. So they're not going to be doing brute forcing. They're not going to be doing things that are going to trigger your Cloudflare, WAF, or anything else that might set up alarms on the server that might get you, you know, blacklisted. Um, you know, we do a lot of things like, okay, like you have a, you have the ability to do ten logins before you, um, you know, your IP gets blacklisted. So what if we change your IP address? Have you taken that into consideration? You know, another one that's very basic is, you know, username enumeration, right? If I put it out, you know, a wrong, a right email, a wrong password, and it says, you know, your password isn't correct or your, um, your username isn't correct, right? Like that's one layer of it, but another layer of it is looking at the timing of that. So time-based user enumeration. So if I can go and say, you have 10,000 records in your database and the, what the way the code is working is it's going to check for if the username is correct first. And then it's got to traverse every single password to see if there is one, or if it's doing that all in one one function, if it's two functions or one, you're going to get different timing, which is going to help you understand that, okay, my username is correct because it took 15 milliseconds to get back versus my username was incorrect and it took 0.5 milliseconds to get back. So it's, it's getting more granular and understanding how the applications work and how developers build code. Uh, and build applications. Uh, it's it's those things that I think are going to provide that host value. And they really do putting all of these things together and creating this very intricate mind map of all of the things that go into your work. And I think that that's one of the reasons why there's such a fascination with mind maps and penetration testing. Everyone, every time someone develops like a really complex one, it just blows up on social media and everyone wants to share it. Because just having that reflection of all of these elements and all of these steps and all of these um, kind of succession connected, el- successive connected elements that, that work together is such a fascinating thing to see. And again, one, one of these aspects that I feel is, is so powerful in reflecting that craft aspect of penetration testing is 
to be able to make all of these things, this thinking visible in some shape or form, whether it's mind maps, whether it's conversations, whether it's graphics, which I think the industry really lacks in. Uh, we, uh-huh. we need more graphical representation of things because we're still, our, our biology hasn't caught up to the level of complexity involved yeah. in penetration. See, seeing is believing, right? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Yep. Perhaps, yeah, like Pentis reports perhaps might benefit from having like graphical artists or just simple drawings of like this goes there and this affects that. And that's how it's all connected together. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. It's, but it's really hard, right? Like, you know, going back to my comment earlier about, you know, there's a lot of, in, a lot of information. It's like, what should you focus on? You know, there's a ton of information out there for that first 10% of a discipline. But once you get past that first 10% where it's everything isn't, sort of the same and you get more specific, it gets very hard to build content and it's very hard to find that content. If you're trying to do with something very specific and you're like, you might not even find it on Stack Overflow because it's just such a specific use case on a specific function, on a specific language against a specific target infrastructure that it's very hard to get that information. So I'm with you. I've, I've thought about that too. How do, how do you do more graphics and you know, how do you do things that are more relatable as you go deeper? It's just like you'd have to have an ebook of, of, of diagrams because there's just there's just so much to it. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Which goes to show that there's a lot of work to be done, both in improving the process and how we talk about it and how we relate to customers and, and how we present ourselves and how we engage with the community, with the outside world that goes beyond our bubble and our echo chamber, which is so, so important. So if there's, there's one thing that you can share from experience that has helped you. Um, you know, keep you motivated and engaged and energized on your path? Like, what would that look like? What would that be, um, you know, as a like a, a roundup to our, our conversation and something that, you know, uh, listeners can just take with them and, and think about? <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's very easy to get in a rut, especially if you're trying to do something and it's not successful. Um, it's very easy to get down on yourself. It's very easy to think you don't know anything. It's very easy to have imposter syndrome kick, kick in in a way that actually isn't productive. Um, and again, I think imposter syndrome is a great thing. I think it just means you're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. So like, if, if you're starting to look at all those negative aspects, which again is going to stop you from trying to keep moving forward, take a step back and, and understand what you're trying to actually do. Um, you know, don't try to, it's not, I'm trying to run this piece of code or get this piece of data. Like, what are you actually trying to do? What domain are you working in? And start getting more involved in the community. Um, one of the things that I think is going to be, or is the biggest soft skill, greatest soft skill outside of just integrity that you need to have in this industry is your ability to be resourceful. You know, I, when I started, I had a handful of people who I had daily conversations with. I had, I, you know, I luckily got OSCP one within one year starting in the industry. And a lot of that was every night, you know, people's, you know, their slacks, their emails, I'm calling on saying, I'm stuck here. I need your help. It's not, this is, this is my sales part kicking in. It wasn't, Hey, do you have five minutes? I'm really like, I need you right now. 
Like we need, like I'm, I'm, I'm getting to a point where I need you. And they know, I mean, a lot of them I'm, I'm friends with, or I know for a while. So they, they get it. Um, and just every time you get a step further, just celebrating those small wins. Um, you know, if you get one more line of code to run, you know, take a step back and say, this is awesome. This is great. You know, cause you're going to need that to keep yourself motivated to move forward. Um, you know, so don't always look towards that end goal because there never actually is a, you know, there is no end goal in this industry. You're always going to keep moving forward, but, you know, take some time to really to pat yourself on the back, you know, and be proud of what you're trying to do. Cause most people, the majority of people can't even do, they can't even open up the command prompt and run a, you know, a print hello or an echo high. Like they, they don't even know how to do that. So, you know, give yourself some credit, build your network, be resourceful, and you're going to see your progression take off like a hockey stick because what you're going to do is you are going to be able to jump ahead of those hours, days, weeks, months of the person who you're asking help from, the struggles they had to put in to get to where you're trying to get to. And then once you get there, pay it forward, find people who are in the same spot and help them do the same thing. And you're going to not only help yourself because you're going to get better at talking to these subjects and figuring out how to teach them, but you're also helping the next wave of people who are trying to get into the industry, get better, land those first jobs and make our overall world safer. Because at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to keep people safe and we're trying to make sure that, you know, people are getting compromised, their money's not getting stolen. God forbid people are getting killed. Like we're trying to make sure that stuff doesn't happen. Such a powerful and energizing perspective. Thank you for your generous insights, for your examples, for all the energy and your like fully engaged presence that you gave us in this conversation. I really appreciate you. I can't wait for people to discover more of your work. So make sure you follow Tim on, on LinkedIn and make sure you you also engage in those conversations and not just look at them. It's okay if you're a lurker. We all are it sometimes, but it's even better. It gets so much better when you actually are there and when you actually show up and talk to people. Thank you so much, Tim. This has been a great conversation uh, and I can't wait to share it with everyone. <laughs> no, I, this was great. I, I hope to do more. Um, and as much as I, I just want to make sure people are or getting better or happy, you know, try to do the things that are pushing their careers forward. Ever wondered how deep the rabbit hole goes in the world of ethical hacking? Well, we're still falling and we're dragging you along with us one question at a time. Thanks for wandering through this maze with us as we tackle the nitty gritty, flip misconceptions on their heads and maybe, just maybe, made you rethink some of the things that are important to you. This has been the We Think We Know podcast by pentestools.com. And before I sign off, keep this in mind. There's always a backdoor or at the very least, a sneaky side entrance. See you next time.